Welcome back to Existential Bread. We're your hosts, Liv and Nicole, and we're taking life one loaf at a time. It's a truth universally known that a bitch loves a Regency show. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? I think we can all say that we've all been obsessed with Bridgerton over the past few weeks, ever since it came out on Christmas Day. That was the gift. That was the gift. Thank you, Shondaland. How long did it take you to watch it? Uh, a couple of weeks because I just think that was like a weird moment between Christmas and New Year's um, that a lot was going, like a lot and then nothing was going on. So it wasn't until the New Year that we got into it. But it only took us like two days. So it's not even like... Oh yeah, it took me two days we, we started watching it Christmas day because I was like oh I kept, I kept seeing this like on all the magazines and on mm-hmm. my like social media and I just had to watch it I was intrigued really because I was like this looks like I was like is this Downton Abbey or is it like what am I what am I getting myself into here mm-hmm. finished it in two days I was shocked actually in some parts of the series we won't spoil it for anyone who's not seen it yet oh yeah this is a this is a spoiler free yeah not gonna episode not gonna give anything away I think we'll allude to things but I was shocked with it because it wasn't like I have been a long time period drama fan and this mm-hmm. was source like it was not it was not Austin oh, yeah mm. very outlander in the sex positivity I would say it, was, it went further than outlander it, it oh it did it did go further if only we got Jamie in those scenes <laughs> I thought outlander gave us good scenes but the, this one I was like oh this is this is better this is <gasps> I was like, Jamie who? I saw a video and it was kind of making fun of it and it was like the Netflix producer and he's like, so Shonda here at Netflix, like we're not afraid to shy away from any sex scenes and the, the guy as Shonda says, um, can I bank them all for a 15 minute long? It felt, was it 15 minutes? It felt 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was really good. I liked, I'm not sure, I actually didn't know it was a book series. That, I'm gonna put that out there first. Had no idea mm-hmm. this was ever a thing. It's and to be honest, I'm like, had I read this as a book, would I've been like, this is Milton Boone. Like, it's not the kind yeah. of stuff I'm used to. Like Outlander. Is it Susanna Collins? Yeah, I was just like, would this come across the same? Because this had the music, like the soundtrack. I I die for. It was very. You know what it reminded me of, which we watched recently, A Knight's Tale. Where even, like, especially the costuming, it was, like, a mix of, you know, like, traditional medieval, traditional Regency clothing, but also kind of a modern twist, modern music put in, uh, which I love. I have been a stickler for period drama, clothing, costumes, design for quite some time now. And it to the point where it's, like, you see things, you're like, mm, that doesn't seem right. Like, that seems a bit off-brand. I mean, the worst offender mm-hmm. is Rain, the TV series. The Canadian. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was good. I, I'll admit, I got into the first season. I was, like, team bash. Like, don't get me wrong. Mm. But those clothing were just prom dresses. Like, that was... Yeah. I think you're either going to lean into the fact that it's not accurate. Like mm-hmm. A Knight's Tale. Like, those were definitely designer influences on a medieval dress. But I think they knew that already. Or you're going to be traditional. I feel like Rain pretended to be an accurate show. I think we all expected it to be the Tudors, and it wasn't. 
at all. Well, it was CW, wasn't it? So yeah, yeah let's be honest. What was what were we, what were we really going to get from that? But the thing with Bridgerton is the clothing didn't bother me in the slightest. Like the Empire lines, you know, some things were very they were very corseted, but the the, the timing was very ambiguous. I thought, like, I get that it was Regency. I think the thing with Bridgerton it was the textiles. The actual shapes were accurate. Mm. It was the textiles that they took liberties with, which, again, I think they mm-hmm. knew they were doing that, so that's fine. And I think it was very, it was very much storytelling through the dress code and the costuming, because um, everyone pretty much is dressed to how they should be, except the Featheringtons. I love the Featheringtons. They, I cannot stand. No, I love them so much. I. But I think they're supposed to be tacky, and you're supposed to know that they are like the others and the, you know, the outsider mm-hmm. wealthy family from the way that they yes. dress. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things I really liked is that you can kind of tell, and Pride and Prejudice does this very well too, um, that you can tell the age difference between people because you have the younger generation, where's the empire waste mm-hmm. and what was very fashionable in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Mm-hmm. But the older women, so Mrs. Bridgerton or Lady Bridgerton, um, the queen, mm-hmm. they're still wearing the corseted, very wide-hipped dresses from early 1700s, which I really liked. I think it kind of separates the generations and kind of shows you that older women of the time weren't really going to change their clothing very often. No, but it gave me fashion goals. I think Queen Charlotte was known for wearing her outdated clothing well into the 1800s because she just liked it and didn't want to change why not i don't blame her honestly i'd have kept it also don't quote me on time periods or centuries it's it's the the specifics escape me but yes i do i do know that she did require the people in her court to wear more outdated clothing or amalgamations of Regency era clothing. That's interesting. I did like the portrayal of Queen Charlotte though, um, and her relationship with King George. Oh yeah. You know, it was just it was just the dynamics of everyone. It felt very human. Daphne, however, I I need a minute for to to break down the the issues I had with the character. Mm. Lizzie Bennet, she is not. But then Claire Fraser always annoyed me as well. Outlander's Claire. Not my favorite. I liked her. Maybe not in the later seasons, but I did like her in the beginning. I think the thing that bugged me about Claire and Outlander was the fact that it was constantly a battle of, I'm from the 1940s. This is how I do things. And it was like, Claire, you're in the fucking 1740s. It's not It's not the same. Like, mm-hmm. you need to get your act together and just go with the flow of things. That's Like, you went back. You chose. You went back. Just accept it, okay? I would have been burned at the stake. <laughs> you would have been a witch. There would have been no... I would not have lasted... At, at all. Nope. <laughs> but yeah, Daphne, what, what were your thoughts on thoughts on main characters? What, what were you thinking? Well, something I really liked about this, and again, what I like about the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, is they seem like a real family that um, loved each other and were, you know, they had their bickering and their fighting, but they loved each other and they act like normal people. I hate when period pieces are really stuffy oh and i love that about little women the most recent one i've not seen that yet i need to watch that you need to see it and it has that Mm. you know little moments in between the plot where they're just acting like normal people people have always been people daphne 
I guess she's supposed to be the ingenue, kind of doe-eyed, boring. I mean, I wouldn't say she's boring. I'd just say the relationship between her and Simon was frustrating, to say the least. And it was mainly because of lack of communication. But the fact that the chemistry between them and the communication just was so off chart for me. I was like, I can't correlate this together. Like, it's not matching up at all. Yeah, I think maybe she was supposed to be more innocent in the beginning to kind of do the dichotomy of her plot. Mm, True, true. Do you know, I think the two characters that have a place in my heart is definitely Eloise and Penelope. Those two I just want to spin off series of those two. I want to see what goes on with their lives together. Mm-hmm, absolutely. They, because <laughs> they're the most relatable ones. Yes. I think my favorite scene, is it spoiling if I mention it, if the scene where Eloise discovers that you don't even need to be married to get pregnant? No, that's probably, that's not really spoilery. No. I, I just love the way the sort of like, she's like, didn't even know that you, like this was, it's like kind of when you find out that like sitting on a boy's lap is not going to get you pregnant kind of thing. <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> what do you mean (laughs) what do you mean it's like you don't even need to be married for it so that was kind of it was interesting to see because it's not spoken about in any really other period dramas if we get rid of if we exclude outlander rain the tudors all those very sexy dramas and if we go back to the traditional kind of austin inspired and elizabeth gaskell's norson's house it's very it's it's like you say stuffy obviously there's no, no never any moment that like kind of like sex or they don't talk about sex. They don't talk about sex. And I, do you know what? I think that's why I first fell in love with period dramas is because it was the, you know, the stolen glances across a ballroom and like the touch of mm. fingertips and, you know, oh, I, I mean, we have to talk about uh, the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, Darcy's hand flex as he walks away from the carriage. Oh, the sexual repression is absolutely a staple. I live for it. Of, <laughs> you know, period dramas. And just even, you remember Sense and Sensibility, the movie, mm-hmm. Kate Winslet, and how, like, the whole, in the book, the rumors start about her and Willoughby because she goes to his house mm. unaccompanied, without a chaperone, scandalous. But in the movie, it's just, like, a carriage ride. And it's just like, oh my god, she was in a carriage with him. Every carriage, unchaperoned, my god. I know. And yet, it was still, like, enough that we as the audience understood that it was like, <gasps> How could she? That's the level of <laughs> sexual repression and propriety that we're talking about here. I was also listening to something about media seen through the male gaze and through the female gaze, and it kind of focused on how the female gaze is a lot about like stolen glances, the touches, yeah. and things like that. How you know she was getting a necklace put on her, and oh yeah, it was just the feeling of a hand on her neck. It was like oh. And even now as, you know, modern women, we understand the power that those kind of like little touches can have. More so than the big gestures. Like I would argue that they are so much more sexy. Like those small things. It's just, oh, I'm just obsessed with Bridgerton. And I feel it's kind of ignited that period drama love. I guess we should probably talk about the recipe that we've worked on this week. Yes, that we're eating right now. Yes, we are. So... For this week's episode, we decided to step back in time and find a recipe from... So I was looking for Regency period slash Victorian. Funnily enough, it's, there's not a lot of Regency recipes on the internet these days. <laughs> Very hard. A lot of information about why bread was so bad back then, but nothing about sort of recipes that they actually ate. Did you not put chalk in your bread? I mean, I try and avoid it. If I try and find a different substitute, <laughs> but I guess I could. So I came across the 
I've never heard of this bread before. I've I've made this actually. I don't know. Have you ever heard of this recipe before? Like I've had a tea cake. No. Had brioche buns, but I've never had a Sally Lunn bun. No. Did you say it was from York? Bath. 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 Austinstown. I would love to go to Bath actually. It's gorgeous. I went with school back when I was in eleventh oh. grade. It's like one of the first places after COVID I really want to visit just because of it just looks beautiful. It real like honestly, it's one of those places that is actually as beautiful as they make it seem. I mean, I think every period drama ever has been filmed there. So this bun originates in Bath, England, and it's called the Sally Lunn bun. Now, there's a couple of strange background stories to this recipe. Um, it doesn't seem to be that anyone actually knows where it came from, but legend has it, according to the Sally Lunn bun, uh, I think they're called the house. There's a building in Bath that actually sells this. It's like the main thing that they sell. So the legend is that the name of the bun derives from the anglicization of, <laughs> forgive me for any French listeners, Salil Elune. I probably completely butchered that and I apologize, but it means sun and moon in French, representing the golden crust and the white base slash interior of it. But then another famous legend, and this is the main legend that derives from like the historical place in Bath, is that the recipe was brought to England in the 1680s by a Huguenot refugee called Solange Lyon, which a uh, Huguenot is a French Protestant. So she was exiled, came to England and baked. And she created these sort of French brioche buns. And from there, they just took off. And by the 1740s, they were co- they were appearing in sort of newspapers and mag- and articles. So they've just kind of uh, picked up from there. And Charles Dickens even mentions it in one of his work by the 1800s. So it's it's been around for a while. I've never heard of it. I mean, well-deserved praise because it's a very good bun. It's a very good bun. Did you know in the North Eng- of England, though? Because I asked my parents, I was like, I've made this bun. What do you think? And they were like, oh, yeah, but we put raisins in ours and we put icing on the top. But funnily enough, when David tried it, he said it tastes like an iced bun. Yeah, it does actually. I've never had an iced bun, so I'll have to take. Never had an iced bun, right? Adding that to the list of things we need to make for this podcast. They're so yummy. It's very. I mean, the lemon is so nice in it, and I'm really starting to like these enriched doughs we're making these brioches because they're just so nice and pillowy. This one has that really nice crust on the outside. So with this recipe, I struggled with how sticky it was for a dough it's not something I'm used to and for anyone wondering we used uh, tasting history with Max Miller's recipe for the Sally Lund bun and he did say it's very sticky and I have a new handheld mixer which has dough hooks and I tried them and it was an absolute disaster because the dough just climbed the dough hooks mm, to the yeah. point where it made it stop how, what was your experience with it I have um, a stand mixer and even mine it started to climb up so I periodically I had to clean the dough hook and kind of scrape down the sides and everything I was unsure mm, I was of it as it was going but then I was like you know what it looks like his in the video trust so the process trust the process I've, I think that's one of the biggest lessons I've learned cook baking bread is just trust your gut although the thing that i don't ever trust and this is regardless of what the recipe is is yeast mm. no matter what it is i'm bound to get it wrong at some point and i i th- what did you do this time i misread the recipe so i didn't put it in the milk when it was warmed i put it straight into the 
flour, but I think the milk was still warm enough that when it went into the flour, it's still hydrated enough. I mean, it definitely grows and it tastes like a brioche and it's still pillowy. Mm. But it worried me because in his video, he was like, don't do this with the yeast, otherwise it might make it angry. Don't do this with the yeast because that might make it angry. And it's like, yeast is fickle. I don't think yeast likes you. <laughs> yeast doesn't like me. I did try and I did it his way, actually. I activated it by putting it in the warm milk and put it to the side. I think that worked. It, it doubled this time, which I'm really happy with. And, and they rose really well. So I'm, I think I, I, it, was, it was a successful bake for me this week. I think so. And it's really tasty. Like, this is my third bun that I've eaten this week. It's really nice. I can't believe it. If this is the only reason this is called what it is, is because of a name and or like a French saying. And they just went, it sounds like Sally Loon. Can you imagine like some French person brings over their buns and they're like, it is called the Sally Loon? And someone in Bath is like, Sally Lun. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. Here we go. This was the first recorded mention of the bun in Somerset is as part of a detox regime in Philip Thick Thickness's 1780 guidebook to taking the waters of Bath. He describes how he would daily see visitors drinking two to three pints of bath water. That's questionable. <laughs> and then sitting down to a meal of Sally Lunds or hot spongy rolls made high by burnt butter. He recommends against this practice as his brother did actually die after this kind of breakfast. He says, such a meal, few young men in full health can get over without feeling much inconvenience. So it wasn't the bun that killed him. So it was the bun that killed him, not the bacteria water of bath? I'm going to say probably drinking two to three pints of bath water. I've been in those Roman baths and that's just algae. I mean, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. I do know that a lot of the times in the period dramas we watch, they're like, oh, she's gone to bath to take to the waters. Like, would not recommend. I don't think we can blame the bun. I'm fine after three buns. Not in one go, obviously. Yeah, I, I, I think we can blame the bacteria-ridden bath water. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That they were drinking. Disclaimer, don't go to bath. Please don't drink the water. Yeah, <laughs> go to bath. Don't drink the bath water. It's optional in this recipe whether you use saffron threads or not. I didn't buy them because they were four quid and I was... I just had them... Of course you did. You just had them lying in the cupboard. I did. I got them maybe a year or so ago. What did you make with saffron Nothing. threads? Nothing. I got them thinking one day I'll make something. Maybe I'll make paella or something. And I just never did. So I ended up having them. I'm just a fancy person. I just have fancy things in my cupboard. I, I'd be interested to know... I think yours are a different color to mine. And I think maybe that's the saffron that you use because... Yeah, it was just color, wasn't it? It was, it was. It's purely for the color. And my solution to that in me going to Tesco and seeing that it was four pounds and refusing to pay that, came home and saw turmeric in the cupboard and thought, that's the color. And I put turmeric in my buns. And I can't taste the turmeric. I think it just gave it the color that I wanted. I actually had my own little Bridgerton moment uh, when we went to visit Lime Park. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is part of the National Trust. And they had a section where you could dress up in the Regency outfits and you could walk around the estate in it. And of course, Lime Park is where they filmed the original Pride and Prejudice series. And so David and I dressed up and he looked so good. You have to share a photo with us. I will. I, I do have it. I looked okay. Uh, but David just looked so Darcy and just, mm, chef's kiss. I love Lime Park. I've only it's been gorgeous. there once. It is. And I didn't get a chance to dress up. But I wish I had. But the grounds are just amazing. Mm -hmm. And the building is amazing. The lake. 
the lake. But it does, it does make you feel like you're walking back in time. And that must have been amazing to dress up like the time period. It was so nice. Like I had a fan and a bonnet and he had a cane. He was wearing like this dark green. Was he wearing um, a cravat? Yes. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a man in a cravat, I'll be honest. He had the top hat. He Ooh, really did fancy. look like he looked like he belonged in the time period. <laughs> we went a second time and my mom was with us. And my mom, she's Dominican, so she has darker skin. And she was just going around the whole time like, I look like your servant. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, you look really nice. Because like, my mom is who you know introduced me to period dramas. That's our thing that we bond over. So I was like, you could dress up. What was your first period drama? Sense and Sensibility. That's like my earliest. The Kate Winslet one? Mm-hmm. Willoughby. Interesting. I think mine was, my mum had Pride and Prejudice, the 1995 version on DVD, or at least a box set. See, no matter what mood I'm in, I can always watch 2005 Pride and Prejudice quite happily. Yeah, I... The music. The music, oh, it's beautiful. The Just the very subtle things in that film, like the dance scenes and the hand touching. The Kira Knightley mouth acting. Oh, God. I can't unsee it now. Mr. Darcy. You were the last man in the world I could ever be prevailed upon marrying. God, I want to run in the rain in a gown. <laughs> this is the thing. So, Bridgerton, it just seems everything happens in the garden maze. In the rain. Mm-hmm. In the rain. I've just never had a... I've had an anxiety attack. I've never had an anxiety attack in a garden. I've been kissed in the rain before, and I got sick quite quickly afterwards, so would not recommend, to be honest. So you were Marion Dashwood. <laughs> yes, I had a kiss in the rain, and then I got sick. Another thing I loved about Bridgerton was the Bridgerton's uh, family home. Just how I love wisteria. beautiful the outside was. And inside, to be honest. Oh god, it looked just so mm-hmm. just like like they were in permanent springtime and it was so pretty. And just all of the homes in the series were really beautiful. And more often than not, I was trying to f- figure out had I seen that in a different mm-hmm. period drama. And I think some scenes so I I saw that the Duke's office with the sort of green background and all the paintings is the same office that they use in one of the most recent uh, episodes of The Crown oh. on Netflix. Like, it's the Queen's office. So I just love seeing these kind of, like, which property did they use? Like, who is it? Have we been there? And also, I just love having worked at these kind of properties. You just know the ongoings behind the scenes or behind that velvet rope of, like, you know, how it's, like, when visitors come to these kind of places, it's, like, they're kind of, like, oh, I can't go past this velvet rope. Or you hope to God that they won't go past the velvet rope because sometimes, you know, we don't need scratchings. Yeah. But just to know that then they'll have like these actors just prancing around, like touching everything and bringing it back to life. Oh, I know. It's just, it does, I do miss working in Heritage, mm. um, being behind the velvet rope, mm. getting to see all the stuff. Because, I mean, a lot of the stuff that the visitors do see is only a portion mm. of the collection, mm. especially where we worked. Um, we had a lot of stuff in archives oh so much stuff like to the point where i didn't even know how much stuff it was until like the last few years working there and i think i went into mittens the witch didn't they call it mittens it's like a a blanket made out of (gasps) oh no the cat blanket cat blanket yeah see these are some things 
or just like the random things you get. I distinctly remember being in the office one day and someone bringing in a donation. Oh, actually, I was working front of house and they brought in a donation and it was this old bottle. And I think it was firefighting equipment of sorts from, I'm going to put it in like maybe 1800s, but I want to say earlier. Um, and we gave it to the conservationists and they came back and they were like, yeah, this is like deadly. Like we should not have this at all. Like <laughs> just things like that. And working in heritage, as much as it's all of this beautiful, like country homes and things, and you know, all of the beautiful artifacts and objects that we get to keep. It's also trying to keep the place up. Like the last heritage site I worked at, I was there the day that a bit of the ceiling fell. Thank God there were no visitors around, but that was terrifying. Oh, yeah. The thud I heard running up the stairs and seeing this 15th century ceiling just like sitting on the floor. And I was just like, hmm, I have to deal with that now. I know because both our buildings were about 400, mm-hmm. 500 years old. So it was just, it's like a matter of time, especially when you see them from the outside and you just see how wonky. Oh God, yeah. You know, the foundations and especially with those Tudor parallel lines that you see it just I think it exacerbates how uneven Mm. it looks it's character but also it's concerning (laughs) well actually my favorite part about working for the National Trust was going to visit other what's your favorite property we are a Dunham Massey family I just kind of has everything it has like you know the building and then the gardens are gorgeous and it has the deer park so it's I have family fun for everyone. Never been to Dunham Massey other than for training and for meetings. I never actually got to go into the property itself. We go to the Christmas thing every year. Oh, I know. That's a nice tradition that you guys have. We used to go on weekends before lockdown. I mean, next time you're down here, we'll go to Dunham Massey. That'd be nice. What is the little property that's slightly north of Speak? Rufford? Rufford Old Hall. Never been. Is that nice? I've only been there for meetings. Yes. <laughs> This is the nice thing about working in heritage. You you only ever go to the historic properties. Either if you work at the property, that you'll see the ins and out of it very quickly. But then the only other time that you see other properties is when you go to training, training or meetings. meetings. And half the time you're thrown into one of the offices that was created in the 1980s. It's freezing. To, it's like a barn. It's always a barn. Always a barn. All the servants' quarters. <gasps> oh, I did. I don't know about you, but um, when I used to work on the house in the vestibule and you know at the end of the night where you'd like lock up and you'd take everything out and you'd go back to the offices and you'd have to walk through the back of the kitchens and you got to step over Mm -hmm. all the ropes that was my favorite part of working in properties i always felt a little like chuffed out it looks like especially when people were there yeah if, if, if the people were there and you get to go through the doors that they can't go through and I'd be like, what's behind here? Like, you can't see. Mm-hmm. When actually, I just know that there's like about 3,000 boxes of crap um, yeah. and decorations of something and <laughs> toolboxes and costumes. And it's just like, you don't really want to see this. This is this is the unglamorous side of working. It's the staging area. The staging area. What's your top three period, like favorite period dramas? Oh, boy. And this is broad spectrum. You can have it from Tudor period through to... I don't know, let's say 60s even? Is that too soon? Oh, God, now you're really... Oh, I've thrown it out there. Well, Pride and Prejudice, I think, is... Which version, though? 2005. Thank you. I, aesthetically, I don't like the old one. The, okay, here are my issues with the 1995 version of Pride and Prejudice. And love Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. Love that. I love the Elizabeth Bennet in that adaptation. She's really good. But Jane and Bingley... 
were not mm-hmm. as I would have hoped. 2005 captured their lightheartedness and mm-hmm. just naivety so well. It was the difference between boring and shy. Yes, yeah. And also, I think the family dynamic I preferred in 2005. Especially Mr. Bennett. Miss, yeah, you, you've got to get a right Mr. Bennett to make that work. <laughs> but you've seen North and South, right? That's going to be there. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh my god, that last scene. I think I watched that when I was like 14 and I've never been the same since. Again, North and South. It was that last scene on the train <gasps> when he's kissing her hands. Oh, the bit where he said, when he proposes and he says, I don't want to own you, I want to marry you. And it's just like... <laughs> oh my god. I just, oh, Mr. Thornton. Because it was the same, that was the same Darcy trope. Like, he's just so uptight and stressed but he acknowledged when yeah but he acknowledged when he was wrong he was stressed i love that uptight and stress cravat kind of vibe oh i like my men (laughs) uptight and stressed and that's the same with the main character in bridgerton he was uptight and stressed because he was keeping that promise explaining it to no one but he was keeping it I think, can we just have a whole moment of this episode dedicated to North and South? Because that changed me forever when I first saw it. Because there were so many things to unpack. Firstly, here are my notes. Uh, <laughs> strap yourself in. <laughs> because let's, let's just, like, everything about it is that, like, enemies to lovers trope. We love an enemies to lovers trope. Love it. Because it was done so perfectly because they were both so stubborn and proud about their own sort of like lifestyles. and Prideful and prejudice. Prejudice. See? But it works for North and South because he's from the North and she's from the South if you hadn't guessed. (laughs) A divide that continues to this day. But the scene where (laughs) workers are getting uh, angry and I think one of them throws rock at her and the way he just like like turns into oh and he's just like like protective mode on kind of getting her in like that 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 was like cemented my love for Richard Armitage the actor because he's amazing I mean I liked him as a dwarf in The Hobbit (laughs) he's not enough things bring him back give me period dramas with him uh there was that scene the scene where the carriage is leaving and he's like turn back (laughs) term like to look at him <gasps> love that one um but the yeah and then the other scene that i have mentioned is the one where he's like i don't wish to own you i wish to marry you like just the fucking love it and then the final scene which we've talked about the which hands. is the train station that i felt, I felt that it. kiss that is the only thing i've ever watched where i felt a kiss and i the point that i'd watched that i'd never been kissed before in my life Peaky Blinders. <gasps> Peaky, by order of the Peaky Blinders. Uptight and stressed. Uptight and stressed. This is the theme. How do we like our men, Nicole? Uptight and stressed, preferably in a crevasse. Oh, man. Peaky Blinders is so good. Filmed in Liverpool a lot. It is filmed. I've actually, I think I saw a little bit of filming when I was working at the Victoria Gallery and Museum at the university because that's like a very victorian building i suppose um because liverpool is good for that like a lot of historic places edinburgh is mm-hmm. great for outlander but, oh peaky blinders peaky blinders 
Who knew that a Birmingham accent could be that sexy? I have so many. I did, I have a love hate relationship with any period drama on the Tudors because it's one. It's so overdone. Like, is it the costuming? No, it's the one. The Tudors are overdone. Like, I don't need. I'm sick of it. I say I'm. I don't want any more Winston Churchill movies, and I don't want anything more about the Tudors. Like, we've got the White Queen, the White Princess, the Spanish princess the tudors reign if we want to include that we had mary queen of scots we've got two different elizabeth the other boleyn girl oh don't get me started on the other boleyn girl that is i'm just sick of (laughs) i'm sick of pretending that king henry was attractive (laughs) sick of it I, i started watching the spanish princess recently because i'd watched the white queen and i'd watched the white princess and if, of anyone, my favourite Tudor couple is Henry VII and Elizabeth of York because it's a very interesting dynamic uh, by all historical accounts. I w- I'm interested by like how they grew to love each other at some point to the point where I'm like, I want to see a TV series about them. And I did see a TV series about them, but it just it implied that she was in love with her uncle Richard III. And I'm a bit of a plantagenist in the sense that I'm like, don't really think that was the case. So, yeah, just I just have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it like I, I stay for the drama but I get annoyed too easily at the historical inaccuracies and when they merge like I think every period drama I seem to watch with the Tudors Henry VIII's sister Margaret and Mary get amalgamated into one version of that person I, I, I feel like several you know it's like he was very handsome and it's like or was he just the king and you had to lie I mean by the sixth wife surely everyone was like <laughs> By, by the historical accounts and just the general he had like gout and fat and you know we need to start casting him more accurately like no more Jonathan Rhys Myers like Eric nothing Banner. like that like he needs to look he needs to look like, like Mad-Eye Moody you know yeah I could see that a bit more age appropriate like rather than having a 30 something year old man play a 50 odd year old version of him next version we're gonna see is gonna be like timothy chalamet oh this is a movie about the young king henry and it's gonna be timothy chalamet (laughs) looking sickly period drama that i really loved and it never got a second series and i only caught the cusp of it as a child because i was too young to watch it as a kid because there were a few very saucy scenes or implied saucy scenes and my parents were like you can't watch it but it's called Lilies, and it's based in Liverpool. And it's about three sisters just after World War One, And it's about their sort of lives and navigating the world after such like a, a massive war and the changes that it had on their family and their brothers. And it's a, an amazing depiction of working class life in Liverpool at the time. And it felt really close to home. A lot of it's filmed in like Sefton Park and you know and in the sort of like the canal areas and really great drama and it never got a second series and I was devastated that was like one tv series I was like I want to see more about those people and it was so watch it if you can I don't know where it is now you know best period drama man in the iron mask do you know what I'm not gonna lie I've watched it about three times when I was a teen I was obsessed with it I don't know if it was Leo or the French part of it but I was obsessed I like man in the iron mask more (laughs) It gave me everything I wanted. 
you know, sometimes things don't have to be good. They just have to be entertaining. <laughs> and, you know, Jeremy oh, Irons. Everyone has, like, different accents. You have, mm. like, Leonardo DiCaprio with an American one. There's a secret love story. Secret love story. Jeremy Iron has, like... And that guy has a French accent. Jeremy Irons mm. has his English accent. Um, what's his name? John Malkovich just sounds like John Malkovich. <laughs> Let us know on our Instagram if there's any period of history that you'd like us to dive into. If you know any recipes from ye olde times. <laughs> it could be Tudors. It could be... No, we're done with the Tudors. We're done with the Tudors. I'm sorry. It was just the first thing that came to my mind. I'm stuck. I know that it could be anywhere in the world. Send us back to the Han Dynasty. Send us to Egypt. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely do an Egyptology. Oh, 100%. because I mean we both love Egyptology and the movie The Mummy. Yeah, I think that would be <laughs> which is the most historically accurate. If it's not a podcast about the Mummy, it'll be a podcast about Brendan Fraser. Let us know in the comments if you've seen Bridgerton and what you thought of it, and let us know if you've tried the Sally Lund bun. We'll leave the recipe in our bio for you to check it out. Yeah, and uh, we'll show you our buns, our Sally buns. <laughs> I got buns, hon. Dude named Darcy liked it. Oh my Get god. Get on the tray. I have no idea. I'm not going to attempt. <laughs> oh boy. Follow us on Instagram at exbrpodcast and on Twitter at the same dang thing. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.